Hello and welcome to 100 Campaigns That Changed the World. My guest today is Jemima Hartsorn. Jemima runs Mums for Lungs, which is, um, is a grassroots campaign group. And it was set up by Jemima and a small group of parents who were concerned about the state of the quality of the air in London and on London streets. And I think you'll agree when you listen to Jemima that she's very passionate about the issues, but also it's a model of campaigning, which is, you know, grassroots. It's a sort of flat structure. It's an interesting model, been very successful in getting the attention of decision makers in London and beyond. And she talks, we talk a little bit about the ULES, the ultra low emission zone in London. And just to, to sort of outline that, that's been a expansion of that into the outer part of London has been a controversial issue over the last few months. Some say weaponised by the Conservative Party in the UK and, and uh, forces on the right and a lot of uh, sort of disinformation spread about uh, about the issues around the ULES. So we talk about that. Anyway, here is Jemima and Mums for Lungs. Hello and uh, welcome to 100 Campaigns That Changed the World. I'm here with Jemima Hartsorn from the organisation Mums for Lungs and we're here to talk about air quality uh, and air pollution in London. And Jemima, just thinking about how you started out in your personal story as a campaigner, how, how did you, you know, get into start uh, Mums for Lungs and, and you know, what, what sort of motivated you to, to do that? So the short story is quite easy. I was living in Brixton at the time of my first maternity leave. And Brixton was and still remains one of the most polluted places in London and thereby in the UK. But when I was living there and I would find I found out that the Brixton air pollution monitor would exceed annual levels by the 5th of January. And I had this tiny, tiny baby in the pram. I just get really worried, started reading about it and it got really worrying. You know, at that time, 2017, 2016, it was already known that the air we breathe in London is so polluted, it stunts children's lung growth. And I started talking to other parents about it. And there were many of us who were concerned. And then we started meeting on a Wednesday afternoon as many parents as babies in the room. And that was Mums for Lungs. Yeah. And you had, I think, some quite early victories, um, I think, with Lambeth Council and, and various, you know, kind of, I think it's, you sort of went, you got quite sort of big quite quickly, would you say? Yeah, I would agree. We were, I like to think we still are good at what we do, and that gets recognised. Um, so we were in Lambeth, Brixton, most of us, and we th thought as one of the first starting points, we wanted Lambeth to have a, have a cabinet member for clean air to really raise awareness, A, within the cabinet, that every decision that Lambeth Council takes needs to be vetted for its impact on air pollution in a very polluted place, and to also highlight to everyone who looks at the council website that social care, health, and also air pollution is an issue the council mm. takes seriously. So we got that happening quite quickly. We got people responding to local 
consultations. And it was really interesting because at that time, local authorities and the mayor of London were running many consultations on air quality, air pollution and things like that. And it turns out that actually, if you get 50 or 100 people responding to these consultations, that is a big number of the local authority consultations. They would have 300 responses and suddenly 100 people were saying air pollution needs to be tackled and you need to reduce driving and what are you going to do about it? And, you know, that that is a big number that gives them this sort of freedom to do more. In fact, you know, they have to do more if they get that kind of response. Yeah. And can you say a bit more about, I mean, you, getting your voice heard, you talked about the consultations, but, you know, you're quite a small group in a very noisy, not in terms of the traffic, but noisy media environment in London, you know, lots of different issues competing for the airspace. How, how do you get noticed in that sort of environment as a small, small? Uh, local group? I think a few things came together. We were and still are really grassroots powered for many years. We were only volunteers at Mums for Lungs, but we were volunteers who had a very clear and single message, and that was air pollution is harming children's health and that must change. And we were always positive. We always speak politely and we are evidence-based. We read and read and read and find out what the best people in the sector are saying needs to change. And we have, unfortunately, many, many good parents who get involved because of their personal story because of mm. their children having asthma. So, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a upward leveling spiral. We have parents getting involved because they hear of mums for lungs and say, you know, what? There was something wrong with my CO2 readings during my pregnancy as well. Um, I wonder if that is related. Then they get in touch and then they are willing to say exactly that to the mm. media and say, yeah, I, you know, I went to a antenatal test, had a high reading, and the midwife just said, oh yeah, you cycle on Brixton Road. Yeah, yeah, that'll be the reason. You know, that's actually not acceptable, but that would, as, as a situation, that the mm. air on Brixton Road is so bad that mothers um, breathe air and the tests sort of highlight that their breath is, you know, not ideal, not healthy mm. and things like that. And the more we get into the media, the more people get in touch and say, you know, I have a kid that's just been in hospital for three nights with wheezing issues. Oh, you know, my baby has been in hospital again with bronchiolitis and is now suspected asthma. The GP has said to me, I should avoid trafficy roads. You know, that's, mm. I think, because we have a very clear message, it's absolutely health and children's focus. And that is something I think no Londoner wants children to be sick because of air pollution. That's one thing we can all agree on. And that is a message that hits hard and resonates because every Londoner knows someone with asthma. Yes, and there was the tragic story of Ella, the, the, the girl who passed away, and that case, uh, I think it was nine years ago. Could you talk about that case? Yes, it's a very, very tragic case. The case of Ella Adukasi-Debra. I know her mother, who's an amazing campaigner, Rosamond, um, quite well. I Honestly, I don't know how you keep going when you've lost a child like that. Mm. But basically what happened is that Ella, a very healthy and happy child, very gifted, very, very sporty, very active, got ill with asthma within a really, really short period of time. Very, very ill. She was, I think, about seven when she started to get very, very ill. She would have incredible asthma attacks. It was unclear why it was, why this was happening. She went to, you know, every hospital in London. She, you know, would get very, 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 very sick and um and after about two and a half years or so she she died 
mm. of asthma. And her mother has since been like, you know, the the campaigner across the UK, across the world, on campaigning for clean air to ensure that not more children get ill and die from mm. asthma across the world. So only subsequently, many years after her death, was it recognised by the coroner that her death was a, had been strongly contributed to by air pollution and was a result of this asthma that was exacerbated and triggered by air pollution because she lived very close to the self-circular. Mm. And um, she is, you know, the most horrific case for any parent, for, for any city. But across London, a quarter of a million children have asthma. We have the highest childhood adult, ch sorry, the highest childhood asthma prevalence in Western Europe. Mm. I mean, there is something severely wrong with yes. our air. Yeah. So given all of that and given what you said about what we can all agree on, which is we don't want our kids becoming sick but just because of the air they're breathing. It's weirdly now, or perhaps not weirdly, the, the issue of ULES, the ultra-low ultra emission zone, which is the, the zone in London that restricts or, or, or uh, charges certain types of polluting cars, has become a highly charged political one. And so some, sometimes, I suppose, in campaigns, you have people agreeing on the central message here, clean air. Um, but then when you get down into the weeds of, 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 the, of the policy, you know, there's, there's disagreement. I mean, do you have any lessons for campaigners about how you deal with this sort of tension between something that seems pretty obvious on the face of it, but actually when, when, you, ask, when you ask people that they, what, that they need to change what they do, they don't like it? I think, look, I think it's an incredibly, incredibly difficult topic. And I think the last two or three months have been really hard work for us campaigners. And it's been incredibly hard going out onto the media again and again and finding you need to argue in favor of a policy that is going to mean less children have asthma. You know, that it feels almost bizarre that this is something we need to fight for in the sixth richest country of the world. But I think we are finding ourselves in a position here where, as you said, the topic has been completely, unfairly, unjustifiably politicised. We had a by-election come in in Boris Johnson's old seat, which has then been used as a reason to go so hard and nasty on ULES and on the topic overall that we are seeing the kind of information being put out there by reputed accounts and Twitter accounts. I mean, not Twitter anymore, X, formerly mm. Twitter. Yes. And by very reputed people who have a large following and should really know better are sort of suddenly saying, oh, you know, do actually Londoners really die? prematurely from air pollution. That hasn't really been proven, has it? You know, this is a tweet that Jacob Rees-Mogg has put out there, oh, which dear. is, you know, absolutely irresponsible. So I think we're finding ourselves in a situation here where an issue that should be unquestionable, children need to breathe, the vulnerable need to breathe, the elderly need to breathe, safe air is being politicised. And to an extent, which is to do with the culture war, which has, I think, a lot to do with the Conservative Party just trying somehow to cling to power. This is not about air pollution. 
This is not about the facts. This is not about science. This is purely a power game and children are going to be finding themselves on the losing side. So I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with this. But I suppose well, maybe maybe one other way of framing the question is, uh, supposing you're, and I don't know if you have a stall ever at a, at a community event or some, somewhere where you meet the public and, and, you, and you get someone that comes up to you and says, oh, the ULEs, oh, that's, or it may be another issue. I know we, we talked before uh, when we last met about um, uh, wood burning stoves and wood burning fires, which also contribute a lot to, to poor air, air quality, as I understand it. And, 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 you know, a lot of Londoners, including sort of middle class Londoners that might think of themselves as environmentalists, they don't want to lose the right to drive their cars or have their wood burning stove. So how do you how do you talk to them about those issues? You know, or is it just reminding them about the deaths and and all of that? So I just want to say one thing, you, you sort of set a scenario that we would be at a stall. And we do loads of stalls and we do loads of phone calls. If someone emails in and says, can I have a chat with Jemima? You know, they will be able to talk to me. I have never had anyone get in touch face to face or on a phone and say, I'm actually against the ULES. We only get that, or and I've not had that with wood burning either. That only happens on X. It only happens in email with emails that I presume are have fake or, you know, not their normal email addresses. I haven't yet to encounter a person to say face to face to me, looking me in the eye saying I'm against the ULES. It's really quite odd. And I think that fits in what has been sort of the data revealing, um, which I think came out yesterday, which is that there has been a lot of money invested in discrediting mm. the ULES and a lot of accounts. But when it comes down to it, obviously, I have encountered people on the radio talking to me and saying, look, I'm against the ULES because it's going to hit my business hard. If we then sit down and I have actually been engaging um, by email with some of these people. And I tell them that, the, you know, they might just be living on outside of London and they should have been eligible for a scrappage scheme if national government provided the same support for Londoners and people outside of London as they did for people living in Birmingham. Then these people are actually outraged and say, you know what, of course I want a ULES. I just can't afford it right now. Mm. I need help to change my car. I'm outraged that this is being played out as a political football game between national government and Sadiq Khan, when in fact, National government has been providing support for clean air zones, the equivalent or similar to a ULES in other places across the country to give exactly this kind of support for people who are strongly affected by the scheme coming in, but live outside the zone. So I think what we are finding here that actually amongst most of the people who are willing in person to talk in a rational way about the ULES, it's a pure financial issue. And the one thing that they really would need is financial support, because on the health argument, the vast majority of people, the absolute vast majority of people, obviously on board. And the one thing I would pass on to other campaigners is that if you have a clear message for a scheme or for your existence as a group, just stick to it. Figure out mm. what your message is, the reason why you exist, the reason why you campaign on a daily basis and stick to it. 
And for us, it's children's health. And yeah. that is not the problem. There is, of course, many other accounts and people, including, as I said, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who sort of doubt the level of air pollution in London. I mean, that is when it becomes very difficult because once people sort of no longer follow and trust the science, mm. I mean, what are you going to say to that? I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not in a position to convince someone that if all of the amazing London scientists who are the top-notch people in the UK, in the world, say London's air pollution is taking lifetime from people. Mm. If they don't believe that, there's not a lot I think I can do. Yeah, it's a worry, isn't it? Because I think increasingly campaigners are faced with this sort of position where they're, uh, you know, there are they're, they're the facts, but then there is also, as, as President Trump put it, the alternative facts. Um, and so how do you deal with, the, with that? I mean, as you said, it's, it's very difficult if people are just not believing the science. But, you know, is there a way of framing it? Or do we just trust, you know, that ultimately, you know, politicians will do the right thing, they will listen to the science, you know, that the system will sort of just grind away, but eventually come to the right conclusions. How do you feel about, about that? So I would say there's two things. I do not believe that politicians will necessarily do the right thing. We're speaking today. It's the 20th of September, 2023. And um, I have had a number of media requests come into Mums for Lungs to talk about the Prime Minister rolling back on net zero commitments, rolling yes. back on commitments to ending diesel and combustion engines. So no, there is no reason to believe that politicians will just do the right thing, especially when the polls are bad and they, you know, want to cling to power. So no, I don't think that is an option, just believing the politicians will do the right thing. But I do think the quiet majority, the vast majority of people want net zero commitments to be ruled out, you know, be delivered really quickly. The vast majority of people in London want real action to clean up the air. We need to make sure that these voices, the people who are in support but are quiet, that they, that we find them and that they, we give them an easy way of making sure that party leaders, city leaders know they have their support. I think there has been sort of a bit of a complacency perhaps across the population, tired of COVID, tired of so many competing interests in all our lives, you know, from getting a doctor's appointment to hoping your kid doesn't go to a crumbling school, that it is hard to get people into action for yet another issue. But if we make it really easy, click to email campaigns, then I think they can tell the leaders and they will tell the leaders that they want, they want action. Great. Uh, we're going to have to have a short break there and we'll be back with uh, Jemima in, in a few moments. We're back with Jemima Hartshorn and we're talking about um, Mums for Lungs, the organisation that she runs. And the organisation, uh, as we said before, is, is largely a volunteer model. But how, how do you keep up the momentum? How do you keep that going? And what are the mechanisms for 
ensuring that you know you're covering all of the jobs that need doing you know even though you're not necessarily you haven't got a big staff body to to do all of those tasks so yeah that's a really good question i think it goes down to sort of generally uh, volunteer management which in our case means a really easy accessible and busy whatsapp group where so i think in our case it goes back to volunteer management 101 in as i would say as well as the acceptance that volunteers especially if they're parents of young children like mummy many at mums for lungs are they will come and go they will you know take a break and many of them will return when you know baby number 2 or 3 is born or they will find their own roles within mums for lungs although i might have thought that they would take on a certain task they might do something else and that might be much more suited for them but generally the way we operate is that we have obviously an email anyone can email into and my wonderful colleague Ruth will get back to them as soon as she can we always give them the opportunity to have a chat with one of us if they want to talk about perhaps a local campaign many people get involved with mums for lungs sort of from a localized issue wanting to slow down and reduce the traffic at their school fighting mm. for a school street or because they are frustrated because their na- neighbors are wood burning and they are feeling and smelling it in the bedrooms. So we always offer an introductory chat and a companionly chat with some sort of ideas and advice and general, you know, getting to know each other. We have a busy and I think quite cheerful and positive WhatsApp group where we exchange ideas and thoughts, but you know, where also people can sort of exchange ideas of how to hand out idling posters, um, flyers in the best way, most successful way, and how to engage with the school and where we collect new campaign ideas all the time. Then we have monthly meetings. They now happen on Zoom pre-pandemic where we, you know, we're always in a pub, but that has obviously up and down sides. And now that there's so many of us from across London and beyond, I wouldn't want to miss mm. Zoom anymore because it would just exclude too many. And we start at 8.15 in the evening, which is a really, I think, parent-friendly time because, you know, most people, of parents of young children will have them in bed by then. And um, if your children are older, they take themselves to bed anyway. We have a parent-friendly code on the for, on the Zoom calls, which is... If your camera is off, no one will ask you a question. We're assuming you're still lying in the bedroom. And, um, you know, we, we do these meetings and they're informal, they're fun. We try to do stuff in person as often as we can. We went to the book launch, I think, with a number of us, about 12 of us went to the book launch of Sadiq Khan's book, Breathe. We went to the big, big rebellion, the big demonstration a few months back with, I think, 15 or 20 of us plus children and a huge banner and T-shirts. And um, that is sort of the way we operate. We have another group in Manchester and we try to be easy, accessible, involving everyone and just going with the conversation. And, you know, to be honest, we've just run a number of, of sort of brainstorming chats. I did free brainstorming chats at different weekdays, different times of the day. So everyone who wanted to could definitely join. And we do get the best ideas from everyone who joins in and supports Mums for Lungs because, you know, I think that is our real strength and our, our real USP, that the real issues, the real ideas, the ideas very different people come up with under the shower or, you mm. know, while breastfeeding are often the best ideas to take mm. the organization and the campaigning forward. 
And then on a wider scale, I mean, this was sort of our volunteers, but we have loads of people, hundreds across the country who are involved on a more supportive level by, you know, putting posters up or sending emails only, that kind of stuff. But we just stay in touch with our newsletter and we try to run campaigns regularly that people can get involved in really easily and like click to email, click to tweet, put mm. a poster up. Because, you know, we're all really, really easy, uh, really busy. So mm. if you want to get involved, it needs to be a one-stop shop. There needs to be, and we have that, there needs to be a form where you put your address in and say how many flyers you want, and they will be sent to you. And two weeks later, you hand them over to the school and say, look, these are the flyers. Please put them in the book bags. Sure. It's that kind of stuff we do. I mean, you have, it sounds like quite a sort of relatively open decision-making model. You, you know, it sounds like you, you, you let people... Ha- have a say in 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 what you do you know which which probably has a lot of benefits but do you ever also i don't know disagree amongst yourselves about tactics i mean i i wonder you know given the coverage of just stop oil and those sorts of protests whether you know you have some mothers saying well you know we need to actually take more uh, you know extreme or more uh you know, uh, non-violent but direct action type um, actions. Does that you know? Well, that's just an example. But I'm just saying, how do you how do you deal with disagreement about what what you do? So we discuss them on 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 WhatsApp and over Zoom. But I think we have sort of broadly got an agreement where we fit in in the sector as an organisation, mm. and we fit in as a grassroots powered one mission you know, air pollution, big picture, strategic, non-direct action group. So, you know, so really, I think we feel that it needs us and it needs us the way it does. We are needed as an organization where anyone can feel comfortable and where anyone can join, even if they drive a huge car and they don't want to be judged. And, you know, no one needs to be vegan to join for Mums for Lungs. And People might also say, you know what, where I live in the country, it's really difficult to do it without driving. Or I'm a Londoner and I would love to drive significantly less, but I can't because the Mm. buses are overcrowded. And these people, you know, these people, as well as those people who say, I've never owned a car and I can't imagine ever doing it, they all fit into Mums for Lungs. But that also requires us to say where we don't fit in and we don't fit in where people get arrested. And I admire people who do it. And I know that individual members of Mums for Lungs have been arrested in the past when they get involved with other organisations. And they can do that in their role there, but not with Mums for Lungs. And I think that is a, you know, I think we've thought quite a lot and always question what our role is as an organisation and who the audience is we want to engage with. And we think that our audience really needs to be the supportive people who are supportive of the cause or the people who could be supportive of the cause of reducing air pollution. So, you know, there's a big spectrum of people who take climate action and air pollution action, and then there's the people who deny it all. And, you know, there's a wide, wide group in between Mm -hmm of people who have real power to change things through their votes, through being multiplicators and speaking up in their workspace and things like that. So, Mm. yeah. 
That's is it, where is we want to be. Is it possible to say, to discern a particular tactic or action that you've done that you thought, well, that was particularly powerful. That actually worked really well. That this is the this is one thing that's you know made a big difference. Well, I don't think so. I can't think of an individual thing. It is incredibly difficult and to to sort of link our campaign activities back to a specific success. But I do think that generally mobilizing decent number of people, like in Lambeth, when they would get, you know, over 100 responses suddenly of concerned parents saying, you need to do something on air pollution. I'm very confident that that has had a massive impact. And Lambeth is now one of the, you know, very ambitious and progressive councils across London. And that wasn't the case when we started out. So, you know, I like to think that that kind of mobilization effort and thereby showing Lambeth that Lambeth residents wanted more action has been very successful. How do you personally keep going? Um, and you know, before we came on air, you, you were talking about some personal challenges that you you, you perhaps feel or have had. So, I mean, does, does the campaigning take a personal toll in that way? And how do you deal with with that sort of uh, pressure? So, the campaigning takes a personal toll. I mean, it's my it's my part time job. It's I, but I only work part time because I have very young children and I'm a single mom. So the personal toll, there's, there's, it's very difficult to find a distance from it because, you know, I sometimes say mums for lungs is my third baby. And um, that is a bit pathetic, but also a bit true. And so it's very difficult for me to take a distance. And the other thing is that the nature of the debate recently has become very personal. So we have found we have been receiving hate mail and threatening messages to a degree I could not have imagined a few years ago. And, you know, we know that in the sector, other people too have been sort of threatened in those ways. And, you know, I do worry about it in the evenings and at night. It does feel scary. And sometimes I don't actually want to go out and speak on radio because I know whatever I will say, especially depending sort of specific questions or moderators or forums will just result in horrible and nasty and revolting vile responses. And that is really hard. That is not something I enjoy doing, but I keep going because I find it so important. I've always been driven by justice and I find the air pollution discussion and the issue of air pollution really is, a, is, a, is an issue on injustice on all levels. When we look at main roads, where very, very many people, especially less affluent, live and everyone else also goes to school, works and commute, being the most polluted. When I see that children are growing up with stunted lungs, when they made no decision and have no decision power on how they get to school, on how everyone else gets to school or, you know, what national legislation on these issues may be. I find it really, really unjust that those people with the littlest agency over air pollution are frankly generalizing a bit the most affected, the worst affected, and therefore it's an injustice issue. And, you know, injustice gets me up in the morning. But also, I do have personal stake in it. I have two young children, and I don't want them growing up with stunted lungs. And my little daughter, Second child, you know, mums for lungs. I had already was going with it. 
And then I had um, my daughter and she has wheezing issues, which the doctors um, in the hospital have said is going to be an asthma diagnosis in the near future. And she needs to take an inhaler twice a day. And um, so I have a personal, very, very personal stake in it as well. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners in cities around the world, but, but you know, including London, will, will have had similar stories. Joanne, so, thanks so much for uh, coming in today and, and sharing these thoughts with us. Uh, um, I thought it was, it was uh, really, really useful. So thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to 100 Campaigns That Changed the World. Please do subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and preferably five stars or six stars if you can, if you can afford it. Okay, see you soon.